We're going through the book of Ruth, and when we began this, I told you that it's called the chick flick of the Bible, and today um, we're coming to kind of the pinnacle of that, so it's probably a good weekend for our men to be on the retreat. We have a hundred of our men who are gone, and today we're coming to uh, the pinnacle of the love story, so it was fitting that we kind of had a, a scat jazz background to set the lounge atmosphere <laughs> for today's message. Well, I read about a man who had been dating a woman for over six years, and he had, he had no movement toward a wedding proposal. And one evening, as this couple was out the, at their favorite Chinese restaurant, the woman decided she was going to move this man along to uh, this marriage proposal, she hoped. So when the waitress asked the woman, how do you want your rice? The woman looked at her date, and she replied, throne. <laughs> Some of you will have to think about that as in you throw the rice at a wedding. Well, as we've been going through the book of Ruth, we've read a lot about harvesting grain. And today, as we turn to Ruth chapter 3, we're going to see that it's time to harvest a husband. Because what Ruth 3, verses 1 through 5, tells us is this. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, this is Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? And now is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maid you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what to do. And she said to her, All that you say I will do. Now, when we begin this series in the book of Ruth, I I asked you to track all of the prayer requests that we saw and then to see how they would be answered. And if you'll recall back in Ruth 1.9, we saw where Naomi prayed for Ruth and Orpah at the time that the Lord would grant her rest in the house of her husband. And right before that in Ruth 1.8, she had told these two widows of her sons who had died, go return each of you to her mother's house. Now, homes in this day were referred to as father's homes. But the reason that Naomi highlighted the mothers is because mothers were the ones who were involved in helping to arrange the marriage. So she said, each of you girls needs to go back to your mom so she can arrange the next marriage for you. Orpah, you'll recall, went back to Moab and walked off the pages of Scripture. But Ruth went back to Bethlehem with Naomi, which meant that Naomi, the mother-in-law, now took the place of the one who was to arrange the next marriage. Now, as they returned, we saw earlier in the book, instead of working on Ruth's future marriage, Naomi became a woman who said, we have no future, and she was bitter. But then in chapter 2, things began to change for the better. And now we see a changed Naomi. No longer is she a woman who is a passive onlooker having a pity party, but she's an active participant now planning a wedding party. And what she says in pointing to Boaz is, she says, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you. Some of you will recall many years ago, there was a popular Bible study by Henry Blackaby. It was called Experiencing God. And the premise of Blackaby's study is, he said, find where God is working and join him there. Well, as we've seen through Ruth, God was at work bringing Boaz and Ruth together. And they've been uh, together for many months now during the harvest. And what Naomi says is, I see something is going on here. And she says, let's see if we can move this along. So what she does is, um, as we talk about this change in Naomi, I want to mention something for a minute. 
just an observation here. Naomi was a woman who, remember, had been burned out and bitter, but now we see her faith is renewed. It's reignited. And I think one of the keys for that is what she saw in Ruth. Ruth was a relatively new believer, you recall. She had come to faith in the true God, Yahweh. And because she was still naive enough to believe that Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, would would actually do what his name said and take care of them. Now, I'm being tongue-in-cheek here. I'm actually being nice to those of us who are longtime believers who maybe have gotten so comfortable, so complacent with God, we, we forget who he is. And we forget what God can do. And we forget that he is this miracle-working God who does amazing things. But Ruth was one who believed that Yahweh would take care of them as, as two widows. He, he was a God who would meet every one of their needs. And as Ruth held on to this and as she followed God and as Naomi began to watch and see God doing all of these amazing things, it reignited her own faith. She trusted God again. And as Naomi watched this, her burned-out faith has the flame relit. And as you look at your own life today, I wonder how is your faith this morning? Has it grown old and cold? Is it like a burned-out campfire where there's just a few charred embers that are no longer hot? As you think about your faith this morning and, and what it looks like, I want you to think about the bread section in a store. Have you ever been to the store and... There's all the the shelves full of bread, and as you go there, you kind of look at them, and some people squeeze them, others check the dates they go through. Do you know how they keep the bread fresh in in a bread section? They rotate the stock. I mean, imagine what would happen if they just put the bread up there and they left it forever. There would be some bread that had gotten old and moldy. Others would be so stale that when you squeezed it, it would just crumble. And as you think about your faith this morning, some of us look like a bread section like that that has grown old and moldy. And the reason for that is we haven't been rotating the stock, have we? We, we filled the shelves. We came to faith a long time ago. Or we come here and, and we hear God's word and we learn it and we fill our heads. But all we're doing is we're stocking the shelf. And we're never rotating the stock. You know how they keep it fresh in a store is as they fill the shelves, people come in and they come in, they buy the bread and take it away. And it creates a hole for more new bread and they bring that in and they put it in. And it is, as it is taken off the shelf, more is needed to put back. And as you think of your faith, instead of just filling the shelf and looking back and saying, it looks great, what God wants us to do is to constantly be emptying the shelf, to take what we know and to give it away to go and teach a Bible study. And, and as you do so, people will ask questions and you'll go, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Let me go find a new answer. Or as you've given away that last lesson you prepared, it will force you to go back into God's word and begin to prepare again. And by giving away what we have, it will keep the stock fresh for us. If, you're, if your faith has grown old and moldy, friends, get around a new Christian. People who are asking those questions that you've forgotten a long time ago were important. Get, get around the little ones. Kids who are so excited about God and are naive enough to believe that he's who he says he is and will do what he says. Again, I say that tongue-in-cheek because it will reignite our faith. And this is what's happened to Naomi. She's one who's been watching Ruth and seeing her trusting God and seeing God come through and it's reignited her own faith. 
And as she looks, she sees how God has guided Ruth to the field of Boaz, a man who we see could become their Goel. Now, this, this Hebrew word, Goel, is, is a word that we've covered in depth. It's a, a word that means to set free, to liberate, to redeem. It spoke of the kinsman redeemer. Do you remember that? This was the individual who would take care of a family. He was the blood avenger who would, who would right a wrong. This was the person who would redeem somebody who had been sold into slavery or buy back land that had to be mortgaged in order to cover a debt. This was the person who would be the, the one who would step in into the Leverite marriage, who would marry a, a, an heirless family and raise up a son in place of the one who had died. This was a very significant individual. And they look to, go to Boaz and they say, this is our Goel. Now, wanting to help move this process forward, Naomi gives the instructions we just read in verses 3 through 5. She says, Ruth, I want you to take off your widow's clothes. I want you to soak in a bath. And, and I want you to dab a little of that midnight in Moab perfume, right? <laughs> Behind your ear. And, and then I, I want you to go and wait until Boaz is full and satisfied from the harvest celebration. And, and then as he drifts off to sleep, you make your move. Now, now, guys, what we see here is a secret page from the women's manual, right? I mean, as we read this, it says, meet your man at the door and make sure that you look good and smell good. Have his favorite meal sitting on the table. After dessert, put him in his recliner. Let him relax. Put that remote control in his hand. As he gets groggy and is about to fade off to sleep, then you spring the trap. Now, when Ruth is told here to change her clothes, it wasn't about getting out of her work clothes and putting on something slinky. What it was all about is, remember, once her husband had died, she put on what was termed mourning clothes. And so as she went around town and everywhere she was, she was essentially saying, I'm not available for marriage. I'm still in a period of mourning. And what Naomi says is, it's time to break the mourning period. It's time to remove those, those black clothes. And it's time to put on clothes that say, I'm available. I'm back on the market. Now, as she was removing her mourning outfit, she was signaling she's ready for marriage. And in verses 6 through 7, we see the plan gets put into action. Because it says, so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now, when we read that Ruth uncovered his feet, if you've read some commentaries, there, there's a, a debate here among some. What, what they're saying is, you know, there's something sexual that just took place. Because as you read this, the Hebrew word that is used for feet can also describe the upper thigh area. So it could come up into this area of the body. And so what people will say is, Ruth came dressed as a bride and she invited Boaz to consummate the relationship that night. Now, friends, this isn't a cheap harlequin romance. I'm sorry that's not what's happening here. What we find in verse 13 is when Boaz tells Ruth to lie down, he, he doesn't use the Hebrew word shakav. This is a word that connotes a sexual connotation. Instead, he uses the word loon. And this is the word that we saw earlier in the book of Ruth back in 116, where Ruth told Naomi, wherever you lodge... Lie down to sleep, I will lodge and lie down to sleep there. 
In addition, as you look at verses 13 and 14, what you see is Boaz was worried about Ruth's reputation. As well as we're going to see, there, there was another man who might end up being your husband. Do you remember what we've seen about Boaz throughout the story? This is a man of integrity. This is a man who would do the right thing. And there's no way that he would take this, this woman and take advantage of her. He was worried about her reputation. He was worried about the right thing, that there could be another man who would marry Ruth instead of himself. And as you think about that, what he says is, for your sake as well as whomever your future husband might be, we're going to keep things above board. Now, as I mentioned that, I want you to think about your own relationship this morning. You know, here's Boaz looking at a young woman, and he says, you could be somebody else's wife, and I'm not going to do anything to compromise who you are. And as you think about your own dating relationship, some of you may be in a relationship right now where you're dating a, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, if you're younger. And, and I want you to ask yourself, are you looking at that individual you're dating with the understanding that this person may someday be somebody else's wife or husband? And if so, how are you treating them? I mean, imagine your future spouse that is out there dating somebody else right now. What would you want that individual doing with your future spouse? Now, if it were my wife in waiting, we've been married 25 years now, I wouldn't even want the guy holding her hand, much less kissing her. But unfortunately, so many people are doing much more than that. And what the Bible tells us in Hebrews 13.4 is, let, the marriage, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. You see, what it's telling us here is that we are to wait until we are married to enjoy the gift of sex, to enjoy what God has given to men and women to enjoy within the context of a marriage relationship. You know, so many times I think God gets a, a very bad rap when it comes to physical intimacy. And people think that he's some prude who's up there in the sky that says, no, 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 it's all bad. That is not at all what the scripture says. I want to remind you that God is the one who created physical intimacy. God is the one who created sex. And as you read the Song of Solomon, what he says in, Psalm, in, in verse, chapter 5, verse 1 is, Eat, friends, drink and imbibe deeply, O lovers. What, what God says is go for it, enjoy it in abundance, but within the context of how I designed it, in a marriage relationship with a husband and a wife. God is the one who, who designed it. And the only time God tells a married couple to abstain is in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, where he says, for times of extended prayer. When God tells us to wait until we are married, it's, it's for our protection. It's not to deny us anything. I mean, what is it that God is trying to protect us from? You think about what is happening in our society today. There's sexually transmitted diseases that are rampant. Because people have violated God's original design. We have broken hearts. We have people who are being used. We have the pain that is caused where children are being born into homes where there's not two parents because there was not a marriage relationship. And so there's a single parent relationship. In other cases, there's a tragic loss of the life of that child as that baby is aborted because it is an unwanted child coming into what is not a home with a husband and a wife. As you think about your dating relationship today, are you doing what God desires? Are you saving what he designed for the place that he prepared it for the marriage relationship? 
Now, if you're here today and you failed in the past, I want you to know that God offers forgiveness. He tells us to confess our sin. And he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's forgiveness extends to any mistake that you've made in the dating relationship, any way that you've not treated his gift as sacred. And then commit yourself to stay pure with that person from this point forward. We see here that Boaz and Ruth stayed pure because when Ruth pulled back the covers, what she was doing was exposing his feet to the night air. We see that she's going to be a great wife because she's already good at stealing the covers, right? I mean, what she does is the threshing floor was up on a high hill. It was a flat, hard surface. The grain that had been harvested was piled there, and they were winnowing it. This is where they would beat it out. They'd throw it in the air, and the wind would blow away the chaff, and they'd they'd keep the rest of the grain. And the reason Boaz and the other workers are sleeping there is because this is a valuable commodity sitting out in the open. And so they're sleeping all around the piled-up grain to protect it from thieves who might come in. And so as he's out there in the night, he's, he's covered up with his, his cloak. And she comes and she exposes his feet. Well, after a period of time, his feet get cold. And he wakes up. It says in verse 8, And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled, and he bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. The Hebrew word translated as startled literally means to shake. The guy's cold, and he wakes up shaking. And when he bends down to cover his feet, he goes, oh my gosh, who is this? Who is this woman at my feet? It says, and he said, who are you? Remember, it's dark. And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Friends, do you realize this is the first time in the book that Ruth has used her name? She says, I am Ruth. She says, I'm your maid. This, this isn't her saying, I'm, I'm here to be your housekeeper, friends. This isn't her using the word sippa that we saw earlier. Remember that word for maid when she said, I'm not one of your maid servants. That was the lowest of the low servant. Instead, she says, I'm your ama. This, this is a word that spoke of a woman. It not only raised her status, but it spoke of, again, her availability. When Abigail married King David after her husband died, she said to David, I am your ama. I am a woman who is available for marriage. And so what she does is she reveals to Boaz who she is and what she desires. Now, Ruth was saying, as Abigail did, I'm available for marriage. To this point, Ruth has followed Naomi's instructions to a letter. Now, she was now supposed to wait and allow Boaz to respond. But she goes on and she says, spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. She uses two important words here. She uses this word goel that we've been talking about. She says, you are the goel, the redeemer. And then she uses the word kanaf. Do you remember this word? A few weeks ago, we talked about this word, how it spoke of the wings of a bird. And we saw all the ways that it was used to describe God and his care for us as his people. And this is a beautiful picture that we saw of of how you would cover up the children and how you would provide and how you would protect. And what she says is, spread your wing over me. Now, as as she says this, Boaz had prayed, we saw back in 2.12, for God to pay Ruth's wages in full by covering her with his wings. And what Ruth says to Boaz here is, you can be the answer to your own prayer. Cover me. 
with the corner of your garment. Now, what she was saying here was actually a marriage proposal. On the title slide, you saw this picture. And if you've ever seen a Jewish traditional Jewish wedding, this is what they do. They put this canopy over, and that's the prayer shawl that the man often uses. And that canopy is designed to designate the first home that this couple will have and how he is providing a home, a place of security. And you'll notice these are Orthodox Jews who are in all black, but look at the groom where I have the arrow. All you can see is his hat is black because he's taken a a white shawl, again, a, a prayer thing, and he's covered and wrapped his bride with it. So when she says, spread your covering over me, here's, a, here's another picture that shows it from a different perspective. And this is the image. Do you see that picture of the wing that is covering the bride? And, and what she is saying is, be my husband, cover me. Now, she actually jumps the gun here. She's the original Sadie Hopkins. Because what she's doing is she's proposing marriage. You see, what Naomi said was, tell Boaz you are available and then wait. But Ruth was new to the culture. She didn't understand all of the intricacies. And so she jumps the gun and actually proposes the marriage that Boaz was supposed to. Now you can almost hear Boaz laugh because of Ruth's mistake. As he says in verse 10, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to me to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. The word kindness, this word hesed, that we've seen over and over, loving kindness, mercy, loyalty, faithfulness, commitment. Your loyal love to me is even better than what you've shown to Naomi. We've seen all that Ruth has done, leaving her home, her family, caring for Naomi, working in the fields, providing all this. And he says, as great as that kindness and love has been, your kindness to me is even greater. He, he says... Why are you doing this? Ruth, you're a Moabite. You don't have a responsibility to fulfill the family uh, line. You, You don't have to fulfill the law of the Leverite marriage. And yet you're willing to do that. You're willing to set aside your happiness, Ruth, to marry me an old goat, to carry on the line. He he says, Ruth, you're young, you're beautiful, you're worthy of many men. With the heart and character you have, in short, you've got lots of options. There are lots of eligible bachelors out there. He uses the word baharim. It's a word that means choice young men. He says, Ruth, if you were a gold digger, there, there are rich young guys out there. You could go after one of them. But your hesed, your kindness to say you'll marry me is, is, is even greater than what you've done to this point. Now, as we've gone through the previous messages in Ruth, I want you to remember what type of man Boaz is. Friends, she's not scraping the bottom of the barrel here. This is a guy who is a man of compassion, a man of character, a man of worth and reputation in the community, a man of kindness. He is also a very worthy candidate. And you know what happens sometimes is those who are single wonder if they will ever find a godly mate to marry. And as time goes on, they start to struggle. And instead of looking for a Boaz, they end up with a bozo, right? (laughs) Because they begin to cut back on the essentials. And it's not just the the women marrying a man who is not of the high level. It's, It's men who marry women as well. 
Instead of waiting for somebody like a Ruth, a woman who is worthy, what we do is we compromise. And we lower our expectation. We lower our list. Now, if you're somebody here who is single and saying, Roger, I haven't been able to find a godly mate. I I would ask you to think about the list that you have. I've seen the list. People have actually brought up lists to me and said, this is the list I'm praying over. And as I look at it, I go, wow. I'm not sure there's anybody out there who fits your list. And so what I'd ask you to do is to look at your list and say, is it really realistic? Now, as you make your list, something that is realistic and should be at the top of every believer's list is the future spouse that you have is somebody who shares your love for the Lord. Don't ever compromise on that essential. What the scriptures tell us is in 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Some translations say do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? As, as you think about this picture of, of an unequal yoking, I actually have a, a yoke here that I want to show you. Now, if you've never seen a yoke, the way that it would work is like this. You would hitch two animals together. You would put one on this side and one on this side. And you see this, this ring at the bottom, and you would, you would hook the plow to this. Now, I'm going to turn it over for ease here to demonstrate. And what it tells us here is not to be unequally yoked. So you can picture a strong animal on this side, and you can put one on this side that's not as strong. And if that's the case and they're going along and they're pulling together, what's going to happen if you're the farmer trying to plow a straight furrow and you've got a stronger animal that is pulling this way, what's going to happen to your furrow? It's going to go over here. Or what happens if you have two animals, maybe both are strong, but they're trying to go in different directions? Your your furrow is going to look like this, right, as you go down the row. And this is the picture that God gives to us. Again, God's not trying to withhold anything good from us, what he's saying is I'm trying to save you from a lot of pain and heartache. Unfortunately, I've had way too many counseling sessions with couples that have come together and said, Roger, I got unequally yoked. I married a man or I married a woman who was not a believer. And we spend our whole time fighting over what's important in our home. The most important thing to me as a believer is my relationship with God. So I think we should be here at church fellowshipping learning about God's word. And and they want to come to church, but the spouse says, hey, it's Sunday morning, I'm going to sleep in. And so what happens is they're constantly trying to drag their spouse to church. And the few times that they do come, the person is frustrated because, again, they're not able to share what this morning should be about. Or you have a, a, a relationship where you're arguing over how the kids should be raised, what's most important in the home. And again, you have this, this back and forth weaving and fighting that is going on. And as you're trying to teach your kids to walk the straight and narrow path, uh, you don't have that support. And you're having to drag your spouse or the kids down the road with you. Friends, this is the picture that God gives to us. Again, he's not withholding anything good. Instead, he says, I'm trying to protect you. I want what is best for you. And so as you think of your list, make sure that that is the top of your list. When it comes to the marriage of Boaz and Ruth, they were equally yoked. Both were believers in Yahweh, the true God. Both had a, a deep walk with God, a trust 
in God. Both were people of excellence. They cultivated their areas and their character in all areas, including that of dating, as we should. Boaz says to Ruth in verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. What what Boaz says here is, Ruth, I'd be honored to be your husband. But before we hear wedding bells, he drops a bombshell in verse 12 because look at what he says. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. In this verse, we see the same words that we did back in 2.20, except here the word order is reversed. In 2.20, you'll recall that Naomi got excited when she heard the name Boaz. What she said is, he is a karav. He is a near, a close relative. And then she said, he is even a goel, the kinsman redeemer. And what Boaz says here is the same words, but he reverses them. He he says, it's true that I am a goel, a redeemer. However, there is a karaf. There is a closer relative than I. He says, as you go up the family tree and you get to my branch, there's another one right before me. And he says, so while I could be a redeemer, there is a man who is in line before me in this relationship. I read a greeting card once and it said this on the cover. If you love something, set it free. If it returns, you haven't lost it. If it disappears and never comes back, then it wasn't yours to begin with. Now, opening the card, it says, and if it just sits there watching television, unaware that it has been set free, you probably already married it. (laughs) Boaz had to decide if he would do as that card said, if he would set Ruth free. If he would say, you know, Ruth, I want you to be my wife. And, and I could jump in line and I could, I could take you to be my wife. However, as a man of character and integrity, what he says is, we're going to do this the right way. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to give this other man an opportunity to marry you first. And I'm going to trust God that he's going to bring you the best, that he will make you the bride of the right man. It's clear that Boaz wanted Ruth to be his wife. But again, we see this godly character in this guy. He says, while it's true I am a Goel, a redeemer, there is a Karav, a closer redeemer. And we're going to leave this in God's hands. I'm going to do this the right way. And we're going to wait to see what God does. You know, Boaz could have rationalized. He could have said, look, Ruth, Bethlehem is a small town. Everyone knows that y'all have been back. Remember, they've been back for months. It's, it's no secret that these women have come back to town. Everybody in town knows. And he says, you know, this other guy, he's had all these months to help, but he's done nothing. So I'm just going to take his neglect as a sign he isn't interested. But instead, he says in verse 13, remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. You see, what Boaz does is he says, um, this is going to be handled, Ruth. You're going to have a redeemer. And he says, I want you to sleep 
I want you to lie down and spend the night here. The reason he says that is because, remember, they're out in the fields outside the city. It's dark. As she's walking the road, there are thieves that are out. That's why all the workers are camping out. He says, it's not safe for you to go back home. So you need to stay here with us until morning. Now, I don't think anybody slept very well that night. I mean, they're up there staring up at the stars in the sky, and and they're both wondering, what does tomorrow hold? Will we become husband and wife? Will this be the last time we're together? Who knows? But as they're sleeping there in the night, he says, stay here. Now, he's concerned not just for her safety, but also her reputation. Because what he says in in verses 15 through 17 is, look, I, I don't want, he says to the other workers who are there, don't even talk about Ruth being here because you guys have all been awake all night too. You know what's going on. You see nothing's happened, but the gossips in town would love to talk about this. So let's just not even give any fuel to the fire for them. And then as he, he sends her home in verses 15 through 17, it says, again, he said to her, give me the cloak that is on you. She wore her heavy night coat and he says, hold it. So she held it, and he measured six measures of barley, and he laid it on her. So he fills this coat, makes a sack, and she puts it on her back. And it says, and she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, Naomi said, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six measures of barley he gave me. For he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. As, as Ruth arrives home, Naomi says, how did it go, my daughter? What she literally says here, uh, a reading of this, would be, who are you? She says, well, do I call you Mrs. Boaz? She grabs her hand. Is there a ring? What, what happened? And, and Ruth says, I'm not sure. He told me there was another redeemer and I would have to wait to find out. And then she says, he told me not to come back to you empty-handed, and he gave me this grain. You see, Boaz didn't happen to have an engagement ring in his pocket out there on the floor. And so when this happens, he, he can't put a ring on her finger to promise that he would be the one, and as we've seen, he may not be. But what he did do was he provided her with six measures of barley. This, this was an enormous amount of food. It was over 60 pounds of grain. What he was doing was demonstrating yet again his interest in being the one who would provide for Ruth and Naomi. He says, don't go back empty-handed. I'm committed to caring for you. If this other man will not step in, I will be the redeemer. The scene here is a stark contrast to what we saw back in 121. Do you remember Naomi first coming back to Bethlehem, broken and bitter? And there in Ruth 121, she said, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And now the shelves are overflowing with food, not only all the food that's been gathered previously, but now 60 pounds, enough for several more months of food that has been loaded onto the shelf. And not only is there the promise of a goel, a redeemer, but now there's two. Naomi started out saying, we have no future. Now they have food and they have not just one possible husband, but two. Naomi responds in verse 18, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Do you remember what the name Boaz means? Quickness, strength. Remember that? She says, This is a man who will not let the matter matter settle until he knows the answer. Today we will know what is going to happen. It's early morning. 
Ruth has returned, and Naomi says, let's see what happens. Now, if you don't like cliffhangers, you can read ahead because we're going to stop here today. Oh, I love that. The people, oh, keep going, Roger. But as we think about having to wait, I want to tell you something we don't have to wait to see today, friends. You and I today do not have to wait to see who our Goel, our Redeemer is. Because we can look to the cross of Jesus Christ. We can look to the one who came to save us. The one who spread his arms wide. The one who provided his kanaf, His wings to cover us. His blood that was shed to wash away our sins. To cover the penalty of death that we owed. God has given to us our Redeemer. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've never come to faith in him, if you've never trusted Jesus to be the one to redeem you, to pay the penalty in full for your sins, to be the one who will restore you and bring you into the family, I invite you today to come to him, to come to the cross and say to God, I am a sinner. I've fallen short of your standard of perfection, but I thank you, God, that you sent Jesus, the Messiah, to be my redeemer, the one who would take my place, who would pay the penalty, who would take me off the slave block of sin, who would purchase me back and make me a part of the family of God. If you've never taken that step of faith, I invite you to do so today. And for the rest of us who have done so in the past, may we be like Naomi. May we have our faith reignited. May we with fresh eyes realize what God has done for us, the great gift of salvation, the many manifold ways he's poured out his grace upon us and met our needs, not just daily needs of food and clothing and covering, but the greatest need we had of a Savior to cover us, to wash away our sins. Will you join me, please, as we close in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great gift. We thank you that you were willing to be our Goel, the Redeemer who would come, who would purchase us, who would buy us back with your blood to wash away our sins. The scriptures tell us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through you, Jesus, our Savior. And I pray, Father, if there's anybody here today who's not yet turned to your Son, to our Savior, the Messiah, that today would be the day that we would humble ourselves and say, here I am, God, I'm coming to you. And Lord, for those of us who have taken that step of faith in the past, may we be those who are awed by your great grace. May we be those who share that grace with others, who tell the story of what you've done, to tell the redemption story. So send us out now into our homes, our schools, our workplaces, back to the military bases, back to the places on the street where we may see others who need to know the great news of the gospel. Thank you again, God, for your gift of salvation. It's in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus, we pray. And thank you. Amen. And thank you. Amen. And thank you. Amen. And thank you. Amen. And thank you. Amen.